We're going to continue our study of Romans chapter 12, looking at verses 3 through 8 this morning. So I've said before, Paul in this beginning in chapter 12 is really turning his attention to more practical matters, taking the doctrines that he's laid out and applying them uh, to our lives. And uh, this is a very practical passage for all of us uh, in the times in which we live where people are very concerned about their identity. And we see that played out every day in the news. You know, we hear about identity politics and people who are making decisions and and pursuing policies strictly based on their group. We see a lot of tribalism. People say, I'm I'm one of these people or I'm that kind of person or whatever they they might be. And uh, that seems to define people. And people really want to be defined. But as Christians, how do we see ourselves? How do we think about ourselves? How should we think about ourselves? This passage has a lot to say about that. And it's very clear, and, and I hope it is uh, clear to you as well, that I make it clear. I pray that, we, that I do. Well, here's what God's Word says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. May God bless the reading of it in hearing of his holy word today. Well, let's just put it in context. First of all, uh, you know, we were talking about how, how does one think about themselves? How do you think about yourself as a Christian? If you go back to, to verse 2, which we looked at last week, where Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that... Uh, The transformation is something that happens to us as our minds are renewed. And how do we renew our minds? Well, we we look at the truth. We look at God's Word. Uh, We let that shape and mold our thinking about things. How do we we look at the world and how do we think about the world? How do we interpret the world? What does the Bible say about us, the world, God, salvation? These are the things that we need to spend time reflecting upon because... They don't come naturally to us. We're not innately born with this knowledge. We need God's revelation of himself that he's given us in his word to help us to to know best how to think. And as we apply those things to our lives, we will be changed, transformed. And we will, as we live it out, begin to discern that, yes, this is right. We will see what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So on this theme of thinking, you'll notice there in verse 3, Paul says, as an apostle, as as God has called him, uh, he is saying, by the grace given to me, and that's what he means, as, as God's representative, he is encouraging these people not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. 
So the word think is there several times, you see. So Paul's concentrating on how we think about ourselves and our relationship to the world. And I want us to think about that today. How should we think about ourselves? You know, we, we tend to uh, have an identity ourselves. And that's one of the big things, as I mentioned before today, people want to form their own identity. They, there's this radical individualism that we find in our culture today where people don't even want to be tied to history. And that's why there's a lot of people who are wanting to throw history away and, and live without any kind of uh, reference to history at all. We want to just be who we are, who we want to be in these times, and we want to be autonomous in that decision to do it just exactly like we want it to be. And that's why you see uh, some of the phenomena of our day. Uh, people actually can change the way they look through plastic surgery and tattooing. Uh, I saw a, a guy uh, in the paper one day who has basically turned himself into a lizard. He's had scales tattooed all over himself. He's actually split his tongue to make a forked tongue. I mean, he's the lizard man. That's his identity. He needs to go to an asylum, probably. But, you know, that's, that's where we are as a culture. People wanting to create their own identity. They want to be God and make that, well, as Christians, we're not God. And we are looking to God to tell us who we are. How should we think of ourselves? Well, Paul gives us at least four things that I'm going to point out today. Uh, and, and just we can run down the list here that it, as it comes to us in Scripture. First of all, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Of course, don't be proud. Don't be uh, full of yourself uh, is what's implied there. That's easy to understand. Uh, we all have a tendency to be self-centered and to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, give ourselves too much credit. Uh, I know I do, especially when I think of my, uh, my own temptations. I think, well, I'm strong enough to uh, do that, and I don't even think about God, or, you know, I, I, can, I can do that, and I, don't, and I do it without any reference to God whatsoever. That's a real temptation for us. But how should we? We shouldn't be proud. We should be humble. But he says here to think with sober judgment. We should self-examine ourselves, look at ourselves with sober judgment. Now, of course, that word sober there, uh, the opposite of sober is drunk. When someone's drunk, they're not thinking clearly, right? Uh, they, they don't make good decisions. They, they don't think accurately about things. But to be sober means you're careful, you're accurate, you're true uh, you're you're not distorted with say for example alcohol where you're not thinking clearly not making good decisions about things so to look at ourselves with sober judgment means that we're looking at ourselves accurately realistically truly you know to, to really understand who we are without dressing ourselves up or dressing ourselves down, because sometimes we can think too highly of ourselves. That's a real temptation. Sometimes we can think too lowly of ourselves. The Christian view, as being humble, is what we're called to be, means that we don't think of ourselves much at all. That's the humble person. 
the person that thinks of others first. And that ties in with what we're going to see in the passage later. But we're supposed to think with sober judgment about ourselves to have a true self-evaluation. And you can only do that in reference to God. True knowledge of self can only come to you if you truly know God. Calvin makes this point in his famous work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's one of the first things that he talks about. Knowledge of God leads to knowledge of self. And the more we know ourselves, the more we uh, desire to know God. God created us, and that does reflect on who we are. We're made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. So it says a lot about who we are. But we can't know who we are or why we're here or anything about ourselves if we do that without reference to God because he's the one that's created us and put us here and, and given us purpose in life. So we should think with sober judgment, but we have to do that, sober judgment, in reference to God as our creator. And even more specifically, as our redeemer, because when Christ redeems us and saves us, he gives us spiritual gifts. We are to think, uh, not think more highly than our, of ourselves than we should, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And that word there, measure, is an interesting word in the Greek. It's metron, which is the word from which we get metric or meter. And it means a, a measurement. It means exactly what it says here, a measure. Now there's two ways you can think about it, and in the, in the, in, it's true in Greek as it is in English. Uh, I, I thought about bringing a tape measure up here, you know. That's a measure, a tape measure, or a ruler is a measure. It's a device we use to measure something, a thermometer, thermometer. Uh, it's, a, it's a device for measuring something. But we also can talk about a measure uh, as an amount that has been measured. For example, if I had a sack of corn, and uh, maybe we're all pilgrims, you know, we just had Thanksgiving, we, we can still think about that. Uh, the, the Indians taught them how to make corn, and, and they measured it out and, you know, gave it to one another. So if I had a bag of corn here, and I said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to measure out some for you, I would say, well, here's your measure of corn, and here's your measure of corn. It's the amount that I'm giving you. So the word measure here can mean the standard by which you measure something or the amount that is measured. Now what it says here in the scripture is probably the second. That's the way it's usually taken. Some people take it as the first as if to say we should all judge ourselves and think of our, ourselves in accordance with the standard of faith that God has given, assigned in other words, to measure ourselves by the gospel. We're all saved by grace. And when you understand that, it, it, you're not special because, you know, you're, you did not save yourself. God in his sovereignty, God in his work provided salvation for you. When you look at yourself as a sinner but saved by grace, that's an accurate judgment of who you are. I'm a sinner saved by grace. It humbles you because you're a sinner, but it exalts you in a way because God has set his love upon you, and you're a child of God now. And that speaks to our identity. I think it's probably, I mean, that's certainly true. 
You could take that verse to mean that, and, and you would not be unbiblical in, in saying that. But I think more accurately, what Paul means here when he talks about the metron uh, that God has given out to each of us, he's talking about an amount. Now, he, and I don't think he means that some people have more saving faith than others. You know, that's uh, an inaccurate way to look at faith as if it's some commodity that we have more or less of. You do have more or less faith. My favorite example is the Exodus. When the children of Israel are going through, you know, God is, uh, through Moses, has parted the Red Sea. And you've got a wall of water over here and a wall of water over there. And, and Moses says, you know, go across now, some people were probably going across scared to death, going, <laughs> we're all going to die. That water's going to come crashing down any moment. And they walk all the way across, frightened to death, worried, sick, you know, really struggling, just terrified. And then other people were probably going across going, this is so cool, isn't God so awesome we are saved, delivered, and just going across with joy and rejoicing. It's a picture of people's faith, isn't it? They all have faith. They all were saved. They got from one end to the other safely. God delivered them. But the way that they went about it, some were feeble and trembling and others were rejoicing. Some people have a stronger faith than others, but they all had faith. They all believed what Moses told them to do, and they did it. Some people have a different... So, so, it's diff, uh, so what he's saying here is not saving faith, that some people have more or less of that. You either believe or you don't believe. But what he's talking about here, I believe, is the gifts that he gives, the measure of faith. Each one of us is given that embraces Christ, is given a spiritual gift, a way that you can live out your faith, a way that you can express your faith that's particular to you, a particular gift to use. He says it several times. First, verse 3, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, that God has given you. Uh, look at verse uh, 6. Having gifts. We all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. God has given each one of us particular gifts. And you'll notice here that those gifts are used in the context of the church. And that's how we ought to think about ourselves. Yes, sober judgment, not too highly. Uh, we should think of ourselves and evaluate ourselves as how we fit into the body of Christ. Where do I fit into the body of Christ? That's the most important thing that you have. You know, we can identify ourselves by our family. You know, I love genealogical research, and, you know, I look into all that, and that's part of my identity. But you notice when Jesus, you remember that episode in Jesus' life where they say your mother and your brothers are out, you know, waiting on you, they want to see you, and he says, who are my... Who are my brothers and sisters? Who are my, who's my mothers and fathers? It's those who are my followers. That's, he was more concerned about the church, and, and that was a higher identity than even his earthly family was. And he says the same is true 
for believers. That's our highest identity, being part of the body of Christ and, and the part we have in the body of Christ. So we think about ourselves as Christians as part of the body of Christ. The, the church, we can think of it two ways. There's the organization of the church, but the church is also described as an organism. It's a living thing. We're all parts, like a human body is an organism. It's living, and it has parts. And we think about ourselves as one body in Christ, but we are all individual members of it, and members of one another. So there's many members, but they all have different functions. You have a different function in the body of Christ than your neighbor has in the body of Christ. But each one of you has a function. And that's important to remember. And this is not communism. Notice this. You know, sometimes the Bible says, the people say that the Bible teaches communism. But communism erases public, I mean, uh, private property. You know, if you're, you live in a communist country, nobody owns anything, or at least the state owns everything, and it's shared out. But nobody, no individual owns anything. Private property is abolished in communism. Each individual member has private property here. You have a gift, an individual gift that's yours. But it's not just for you. It's for the entire church. We all share in one, another, one another's gifts. We all have different functions. And we're individually members one of another, it says. So we rely upon one another. If we look at our human body, you know, we, we have hands and we have eyes and ears. Paul draws this out in more detail in 1 Corinthians 12. Each part is important. You know, of course, the appendix is obviously not that important, but there's not, no one's the appendix in the, in the body of Christ. You know, that's, somebody might claim that, and that means they can just sit there and do nothing. And if, if it weren't there, it wouldn't matter. There's no appendix in the body of Christ. It's all important parts. They're different parts, but they're all important parts. And you have an important part to play in the body of Christ. And as you think about yourself, that's how you need to think about yourself. I'm a part of the body of Christ, and individually I have something to contribute to it and something that the rest of the body relies upon. It's not just us on our own with our own little gifts but my gift helps you, your gift helps me. And we can look across to everybody here in this individual body that is an expression of the body of Christ, of the church down the street, you know, all over town, throughout the world. We all are part of the body of Christ. How do I fit into that is the question. And, how do you, and you need to think about that soberly, clearly. You know, when I was a teenager... We had a great youth group. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of friends and high school mates who were strong believers, zealous for the Lord. And a number of the guys said, you know, I, I feel called to the ministry at some point. You know, had an emotional altar call or whatever and said, I'm called to the ministry. But only a few of us. I mean, it, we, had, we have a high proportion of folks in that group that went into the ministry. I think I'm the only one that's actually a pastor. There's some missionary, there's a chaplain, 
there's uh, others who are uh, involved in being leaders in worship and things of that nature. A lot of zeal for the Lord. But they, all these folks who felt called to ministry, that was not their calling. They, they didn't think with accurate judgment. Now, all of them are believers, and they're serving the Lord in different capacities now, which is great. That's what they should have done, but they, didn't, they weren't called to the ministry. That was just an emotional response that they were having, except for me, I guess. Here I am. But their part is just as important as my part. Your part is just as important as, as, as their part, my part. We all depend upon one another. We're all individually individually members one of another. But we always represent Christ. Now this is the most important part, I think. As, you know, when you look at any one of us, I'll take myself as an example, when you see me physically, you go, there's Tim, if you know me. And if you really know me, you say, you could probably even look at my hand I bet Sarah could look at my hand and go, that's Tim's hand. Or that's Tim's foot. I, I could recognize that. I've seen it so many times. When someone sees us individually, they should see Christ. You know, we're the body of Christ. Okay? As we fulfill our function in the body of Christ, people should look at in us and see Christ. We should reflect Christ in all that we do. And we need to remember that. You know, as we think about our identity and, and who we are and what should we ask ourselves, uh, you know, that is a self-focused, kind of self-centered question to ask. This part of the, uh, the, the being the body of Christ turns our attention away from ourselves and we have to remember that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are pointing people to Christ. We are encouraging one another in Christ. We are representing Christ, and the other people around here are representing. We need to be doing that for one another, pointing each other. And we all have different ways to do that. For me, it's to stand up and teach and preach God's Word. I read a great article this week that convicted me and and really changed my mindset. And and I I don't really want to even tell you about it because it's something that I feel like I should have all known and... and, um, and have been practicing, and I think I do to some degree, but it just said it in such a way. You know, sometimes you hear something that's said in a certain way and you brings it home to you in a kind of a different way that you ever thought about it. But uh, R.B. Kuyper has a wonderful book called The Glorious Body of Christ, and he has little short articles on the church. And in one of them, he addre- he's addressing pastors in particular, and he talks about how pastors are to proclaim God's word. And uh, he just made the point that we need to be doing that all the time, taking God's word and applying it to every situation of life. And what you need in a pastor is someone who is continuously pointing you to God's word and the truth of it and opening that up and showing how it applies to real-life situations, real life. And, uh, of course, you think, that well, you should have known that all along, too. And I did. But, you know, it said it in a way it kind of gave me a new zeal for the task, focused me a bit. And I was able to do that yesterday, even in the ICU with uh, someone. We talked about souls and bodies, and, and uh, it was a good conversation, a good gospel conversation there in the ICU because I'd read that article and it was on my mind. So, But we all, maybe, maybe we're uh, pastors or teachers, 
Maybe we're servants. There's a list here. This is not an exhaustive list. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, other places in Scripture that talk about the different gifts. And I think you have to take into account circumstances and, and desires. There's a lot to take into account of evaluating what your spiritual gift is. Inclination, opportunity, availability. Those are things that you need to take into account as you consider your spiritual gift. But our identity is in Christ, and he's the one that tells us who we are, and he is the one who's given us who we are. And as we submit to him and to who he's made us to be and to think about where he's put us and who he's put us with, all that is a factor of who we are. But most importantly, we are all part of his body, all individually members of it. And we should lean on one another. We need one another. And uh, it would be an opportunity for us to encourage one another. So think about that as you think about who am I? How can I serve the body of Christ? How can I promote Christ uh, in, uh, in my circumstances, in my opportunities? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would help us as believers to faithfully represent you. Lord, we... Uh, as we come to the table, we think about your death and resurrection, how you came not to be served, but to be a servant, to lay down your life. And Lord, may we serve one another and most of all serve you. Lord, we ask your, uh, that you would direct our attention clearly to you. We do this in remembrance of you. And uh, Lord, we pray that that the great sacrifice that you made for us, the grace that you have given us, the faith that you have granted us would come into sharp focus in these few moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.